the candles Get the ice out Roll the rug up It's today Though it may not be anyone's birthday And though it's far from the first of the year I know that this very minute has history in it Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, May 29th, 2022. My name is James Marino and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Broadway Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, will be released in September of 22 and can now be pre-ordered on Amazon. Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hello. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. So uh, you've got some fans <laughs> in, uh, the, in middle America who have contacted you. Well, uh, not so much fans of me, but just an idea of the reach of Broadway radio. I uh, A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that I had been in a production of Funny Girl on Staten Island in 1979, mm. and we played a little uh, couple of audio clips from that. And I mentioned that the fellow who had played Eddie Ryan in that production was named Joe McMurray, uh, and I had not seen him since then. Well somebody who was a friend of a friend in Salina, Kansas <laughs> heard the podcast and, and said, is this you <laughs> got in touch with Joe and said, are, are they talking about you? And he said, yes, indeed, that was me. So Joe got in touch with me through Facebook or whatever. And um, we met up for lunch the other day and it was the first Wonderful. time I seen him in 40. What is that? Three years. Uh, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, uh, it was really great to see. Him. What a story. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was sweet. Wow, that's really wonderful. So, this week, uh, Peter, you got over to the eighth annual, the Schubert Foundation High School Theater Festival for the New York City Public Schools. So, tell us about this. Well, um, five schools uh, were chosen to be in the festival. And um, they are the Repertory Company High School for Theater Arts, which did Into the Woods, the Professional Performing Arts High School, which did Indecent, Curtis High School, which did Guys and Dolls, Brooklyn High School of the Arts, which did Don Troll, Who Kissed the Sea, and Frank Sinatra School of the Arts, which did Rent. Now, they, of course, didn't do the entire show. They only did 15-minute excerpts, uh, but they were all spectacular and it was really quite wonderful to see. What was also interesting to me is how much high school theater has changed. 
for better or worse, there are some people who are going to be very upset at what I, I'm about to say. And some people are going to say, well, look, you know, I mean, th- this is 2022. But um, I remember talking to a teacher on Long Island who said you will never, ever see Spring Awakening done in high schools. Well, it's being done in high schools all the time, <laughs> um, all the time. I also want to point out that when my book came out, Let's Put on a Musical, and this is on my refrigerator, by the way, uh, what I'm about to say, uh, the critic for Show Music Magazine, who didn't identify himself, I wish he or she had, um, <clears throat> said, does Felicia really think, really was in uh, italics, does Felicia really think that school students can actually do Sondheim score for Into the Woods? Well, it's been done hundreds, if not thousands of times. And this includes the repertory company, High School for Theater Arts, which did it quite, quite well indeed. Um, the, for better or worse, part of it is um, that um, we do have a situation where things were rather frank. Now, I go, uh, I have often gone, I should say, to the junior high school festival in Atlanta every year, which is really for tweens and some high school students. And whenever you see a boy and girl kiss on stage, the crowd goes, ooh, you know, that type of thing. It was pretty amazing here that that didn't happen. So there is a difference between um, middle school um, kids and high school kids. And what was really fascinating was in Indecent, it was a girl and a girl kissing. Now, um, in Guys and Dolls, it was um, a guy and a girl kissing. Um, but times have changed here, too, for the better, because it was a black uh, boy and a um, white girl. And there was no commotion made over any of this. In Rent, um, they did La Vie Boheme, so the word masturbation was used. So there's no question that high school theaters um, have taken a leap. Some will say forward, some will say backwards. But indeed, um, it was fascinating to see what's going on today in high school theater. And these, of course, are the ones that the judges, um, I imagine what happens, they have a whole panel of judges going around uh, the five boroughs looking at um, this school, that school, and the other school. Because I know that's what happens in New Jersey for the paper mill um, awards that are given uh, to high school students. So um, I imagine there's a panel of judges and the judges felt uh, that these were the five outstanding schools. And um, I'm delighted that uh, these kids get a chance to be on the stage um, right in front of that backdrop of uh, River City, Iowa. But I'm telling you, uh, (laughs) these selections did indicate we ain't in River City, Iowa. I'll tell you that. Parenthetically, uh, Curtis High School is located on Staten Island. All right. <laughs> and earlier this week, I hooked up with a woman who was a friend of friends that I knew again 50 years ago on Staten Island. And she told me that she went to Curtis. Look at that. Wow. <laughs> Staten Island's really getting us to today, isn't it? <laughs> Peter, the, uh, something that just occurred to me as we were talking about this was that this is focused on the New York City public schools, but New York City's got a large number of private schools that certainly could afford to put on a show that uh, budgets would surpass them off Broadway, if not a Broadway show. Sure, have sure. you ever Have you ever seen any uh, private school uh, performances in New York? Um, I don't think so. Um, I I do know that I go to an occasional. Um, <laughs> I think it's more of a, a campy type thing. I don't mean camp in the sense of um, you know Superman and Batman type camp, but um, 
But um, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I've been going to private school things or uh, camp things um, in the summer. I guess it, it must be if it's in the summer, it must be um, camp rather than that. I don't know that I've gone to a private school, um, but um, LaGuardia High School is public, right? Yeah, yeah. LaGuardia is public. And yeah. they're supposedly, I've never been, and I'm, I'm sorry to say I haven't because I hear their productions are phenomenal. Have either yeah. of you been? Yes. Yes. I have. Yeah. Oh, well, you're um, going to think I'm making this up, but Staten Island <laughs> has has something called the Minty Awards. Uh, how for nice the, for the past five years or so, maybe a little more, uh, maybe more. Uh, and that is for specifically for Catholic high school theater ah. uh, run run by a fellow called Michael Pinto, whom I've worked with. And I went to one of their ceremonies and because a lot of people I know have been awarded because they also give legacy awards and things like that um so yes i I know there's that and yes your point is well taken james that some of the private schools uh whether catholic or whatever uh have budgets that allow for some pretty you know elaborate productions yeah then why don't they pay their teachers anyway uh, (laughs) right exactly you you think Um, of regis you think of regis you think of the dalton or some of the other larger east side schools they uh are attended by some of the wealthiest and most powerful people in the nation certainly uh be interesting to see if they have uh, productions but i've never actually heard i've never i don't think i've seen a press release or heard about any productions coming out of there. they do i saw a production of west side story at regis many many years ago Mm -hmm. and and it was quite professional in terms of the orchestra and just the whole production. Uh, the question becomes, where does the word minty come from? Uh-huh. Oh, it, it, it's a long story. I asked him about it. <laughs> it was a combination of his name with something else. And, I see. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's intriguing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. They give out a uh, Girl Scout Thin Mint cookies as the prize. You know? Oh, now I'm going. Now I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> so, Peter, you talked about how often uh, you, you see uh, Into the Woods productions mm-hmm. at high schools. Uh, last week, we talked about... Uh, that we had had no information about the transfer of Into the Woods uh, to Broadway from City Center, the uh, production that Michael got to see mm-hmm. uh, and reviewed here a couple weeks back. Uh, and we have news that uh, uh, Into the Woods is transferring uh, to the St. James with performances beginning on June 28th, uh, with an opening night of July 10th. And uh, they, right now it's a strictly an eight-week run. And uh, they've recast a number of the roles because so many folks uh, were unable to to transfer due to other commitments. And but Sarah Bareilles is transferring and joining the production is Brian Darcy James and mm. uh, Patina Miller, Philippa Sue, Gavin Creel, Josh Henry. Uh, it seems like it's going to be quite quite a thing. I hope that uh, I hope that you know it it gets to run longer than eight weeks it seems like uh, so many people won't be able to see it in just a short eight week run i i i'm pretty sure that they have an extended run in mind oh um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if, if the box office sales warranted which they sure know. absolutely i mean most of these um limited run things say that so they won't be embarrassed if indeed they have to close after the um so-called limited run uh, mm. ends but so but it is entirely probable 
I guess you can't say entirely probable, can you? Anyway, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, you get my point. I've said enough. <laughs> uh, and last thing is that this person from uh, Show Music Magazine that uh, that questioned your your comment on Into the Woods or Sondheim yeah. scores, in fact, yeah. was that the the Goodspeed Show Music Magazine that was a yeah. quarterly? Yeah, is yeah. that still around? To oh, anybody? by no means long no. gone. It's really long a shame because it was really good, wonderful really magazine. Good. Uh, yeah, it really was. And what was really nice about it too is every now and then they would um, publish an extra script of a musical in there. They did big, um, the revised big, I believe. Um, they did parade and a few others as well. So it was really great because um, those of us who remember or have found out about Theater Arts Magazine, where they used to do a play every um, issue. And that was a monthly. And occasionally they do a musical. Um, Paint Your Wagon was in there and Little Mary Sunshine. And um, um, ironically enough, I'll never forget the time. I, I was looking for the theater arts that had Little Mary Sunshine in it. And I just could never find it. Just could never find it. And at that time, Applause Books had a store on 70. First, second, somewhere seventy third, wasn't it? Is that what it was? It yeah, was downstairs, okay, right. the downstairs yeah, one, right? Yeah, seventy yeah. third. Yeah. So anyway, I went in there, and um, there was the um, actors' edition script of Little Mary Sunshine. I said, "Well, I'm never going to find the theater arts one." So <laughs> all right, I'll buy it. <laughs> Came out, and as you know, a lot of people um, sell books and magazines on um, Broadway, right in that area. Two copies of Theater Arts magazines with Little Mary Sunshine in it. Two, not one. <laughs> All right. Did I ever tell you, Peter, I have a copy of the August 1954 edition of Theater Arts, which has the golden apple on the cover. And the pl guess what play is in it? I don't know what. Camino Real. Oh, is that right? Aha. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> wow. My, I think my darling Aida um, got um uh, uh, summarized uh, well got the entire script in there too i mm. think i think um but uh they did go far afield once upon a mattress was in in there i remember ah. yeah mm -hmm. so <laughs> all right so let's move forward into our formal reviews for the morning peter got down to the public theater to see uh was it a pulitzer prize winner yes it is fat ham so tell mm -hmm. us about this well, um, this may be the most confusing Pulitzer Prize winner since How to Succeed for me. Um, I never thought How to Succeed should win a Pulitzer. I think it's a great show. I love seeing it even to this day, um, sexist though it may be, sexist <laughs> though it is. But, um, you know, with its great score and um, its terrifically funny book and all that. Um, but I never saw it as Pulitzer material. I don't see this as Pulitzer material either. Um this is by James. Uh, Michael, you know how to pronounce this, right? The last name. Were you the one who told me this? No. Uh, remind me. <laughs> okay. I so. It's 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 spelled I James, but I think. Oh, I, yeah. Jan Simpson told us how to pronounce. Is that what it was? Yeah. It was okay. Jan. Yeah. All right. So anyway, I don't know how to pronounce it, but anyway, it's spelled I James, and um, it's it's a riff on Hamlet, and it's silly. Um, and um, it seems to want to be provocative because um, Hamlet is gay and um, he's um, well, again, they're not using the names uh, specifically. Um, his name is Juicy in this um, in this version. Um, Ophelia is Opal and uh, she turns out to be a lesbian. 
We also have a drag queen uh, by the end of the show and uh, all that goes with that. So um, I thought it was rather facile and superficial. Now, I have to be fair about this. Um, Way back when I was in my 20s, I did a riff on Hamlet, which one can still do. It's a baker's play. Um, I called it. I updated it. So it was called Danish Morden. And so uh, mine is as silly as that. But I would never put mine in contention for a Pulitzer Prize. And uh, I just thought this was very wearing. To be fair, audience loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, But uh, it wasn't for me at all. And I smiled twice, and that was the best they could get out of me. But I'm at a real loss why this um, spoof would be worthy of a Pulitzer Prize. Um, You got me, Gaby. You got me. (laughs) (laughs) So the New York Times says uh, it's James Iams. I-M-E-S. His surname is pronounced Iams. I see. Okay. James Iams. Uh, And that, that... is what Jan had told us a couple of weeks ago. We talked about Fat Ham uh, winning the Pulitzer. So uh, Fat Ham is playing down at the public through July 3rd. Uh, it's got a, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And it's a co-production with the National Black Theater. All right. So, Michael, you got over to MCC to see which way to the stage. So tell us about this. Yes, I, I really was late to the party, but they um, they had to cancel several performances due to COVID recently. And I'm so glad I made it. It's only continuing through June 5th. If there's any way you can get there, I just loved it. Uh, Just the description of it made it sound like this play was right up my alley. Uh And and indeed it is. It's uh, about primarily these two uh, stage door denizens, this, this, man and woman who hang around the stage door, specifically the stage door of If Then, of all things, the uh, short-lived musical If Then, uh, because they are big Edina Menzel fans and they want to get her to sign their programs, etc. And there's much uh, conversation a bit uh, about all of that and really, really funny inside humor, I think, uh, to me about... <laughs> various subjects including the various people who've played mama rose and gypsy i don't think um imelda staunton's gonna like what they say <laughs> about her <laughs> um and these two people are played uh, it's the role of judy played by sass goldberg and jeff played by max jenkins and so the whole first part of the play is just the two of them and they were so delightful uh, my one negative well uh-huh. one of my negatives <laughs> right. about the show uh, was that uh, they they spoke so quickly and that was part of the comedy but sometimes i really had a uh, difficulty understanding what they were saying i would say that applied more to sass goldberg than to max jenkins uh probably because of the pitch of her voice um so I, I'm sorry, I, there were one or two lines that people really laughed at and I didn't understand them. So I, I think I might have to, um, I wish it was, I wish there was still theater arts magazine so they could print the script, <laughs> but, but, but I'll have to take a trip to the drama bookshop and see if I can read it and, and get those few lines. Uh, but I don't want to overstate it. It was just a couple. Uh, anyway, so there's this dynamic between um, Judy and Jeff and he's, gay and he's a drag queen and he's a drag performer and she is a straight woman uh and they're obviously 
good friends and they've known each other for a really long time. And then this um, really hot guy shows up named Mark, played by Evan Todd. And he's kind of a cipher to them uh, at the at the beginning but then it turns out he had a career in finance and he went to wharton and then suddenly he just saw um a a show one day and and it and it just changed his life and he uh decided he wanted to give it all up and become an actor uh so that's his story but there's a lot more to him that will come out later that's really kind of intriguing uh so there's those three characters and then uh one more really great actress named Michelle Ventimiglia who plays uh, three different roles in this, in this play. Uh, And they're all so fantastic. I'll tell you, you would never know that they had had, um, I think it was a week or more off. Uh, I saw one of their first performances back and they were absolutely spot on as far as the lines and the, the, the timing and the business and everything in it. So I, I just really urge you to get to it. I, I have some reservations about, um, I thought it sort of maybe started to fall apart a little bit towards the end and it didn't seem to come to any kind of satisfying resolution for me also there are two um extended performance numbers in it even though it's not a musical and while i enjoyed them they were both um kind of long and had no bearing really on the plot as far as i was Mm -hmm. concerned so i Mm -hmm. think that that might have been re visited maybe just to trim those a bit i do hope this has a, a a future life because I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think the writing by Anna Noguera is spot on. And uh, so, so also the direction by Mike Donahue, uh, by the way, some really fun choreography in those numbers I mentioned by Paul McGill. So it's at the MCC theater in their new ish space on 52nd street, far West 52nd street, uh, just a stone's throw from my apartment. Um, <laughs> and I really urge you if you, there's any way you can get there through before June 5th, assuming that they don't, they don't have any more cancellations. I certainly hope not. They deserve to just keep doing this. And by the way, uh, when I went, it was packed. Uh, so I think word has gotten out. James, you mentioned that you've heard buzz on it. Oh, yeah, a lot of buzz. And it seems like it. Uh, there's so much talk about a transfer, but uh, I'm not sure if that's just, um, if that's just uh, wishful thinking because I, I, I'm not sure that there's a theater for it. You know, so we'll have to see right. what happens. You know, you never know what happens, you know. Sure. All right. So that's Which Way to the Stage. As Michael mentioned, it's uh, closing up uh, in about a week or so. Uh, and hopefully uh, they'll have an, a different afterlife uh, after it closes or, or extends or something like that. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Peter, you got over to Manhattan Theater Club to see Golden Shield. So why don't you tell us about that? Well, um, this is a story about um, a lawsuit that uh, is uh, being conducted uh, dealing with the Internet, um, dealing with porn, dealing with the fact that it may not be a situation in China where they're really regulating porn as much as they're regulating mines. So it is very hard to catch on to at the beginning. Uh, You may find yourself lost, partly because much of it is in Mandarin. Now, granted, granted, we are talking about a situation where there is a translator on hand. So uh, that's fine. However, 
much of the time the translator is talking while indeed the people are speaking Mandarin. So you have two voices at once. Mm. Um, He starts a couple of seconds later, of course, because he has to hear what they're saying so that he can translate, but you do have sound on sound. So if you're a Robert Altman movie fan, you might very much like this um, situation because, of course, his movies are famous for having people talking over each other. Well, the lawyer in the case is a, a very accomplished woman. She has a less accomplished sister. Um, in fact, the sister is working in the porn industry um, on the telephone and um, has something going there, uh, a pretty good business going on. And in fact, may do more than just telephone uh, situations. But anyway, the point is the sister, however, can translate Mandarin. And because the lawyer sister needs somebody to translate, she hires her sister to do it. Well, don't we all know that when you're in a business, you should never deal with a relative. It's going to end (laughs) badly. I mean, good Lord, you know, I mean, because, you know, it's uh, a boss can tell an employee whatever the boss wants to tell the employee. But, you know, a sister telling a sister, you get back into all sorts of issues that happened in your childhood. And that's what happens here. There's a lot of issues that happened in their childhood with their mother and each has different perceptions of what went on, of course. And so the family dynamics come into play. And I'm very surprised that a high powered lawyer who doesn't even much like her sister and whose sister doesn't much like her. This comes up late in the play, by the way, in no uncertain terms. Uh, the question is asked, do you like me? Do I like you? Um, so, I mean, the fact that they haven't had a wonderful relationship uh, would indicate that it's not a good idea for them to work together with uh, one in power and one is the uh, employee. So um, I, I, I think that's a little naive on uh, the lawyer's part. I mean, again, if they had a lovely relationship, boy, I got to do something for my sister. She's really floundering. Here's a chance for me to help her. I am so happy about. No, it's nothing like that at all. She makes it very clear that uh, the sister is going to be employees. So you may say, well, this is a power thing. She wants to show uh, that she's powerful. It doesn't play that way. And even if it did. Why would the sister get involved since she seems to be doing all right in her own field? Now, you might say, well, she wants to get to a more respectable uh, profession. Um, Yeah, I can see that as well. But nevertheless, I would think that she would see real flags coming um, right from the outset about the fact that her sister has always been in power and now would exercise it again. So none of that made perfect sense to me. And Again, it's a very hard play to understand from the outset. People are talking very quickly. You're dealing with legal matters. You're dealing with um, all that. And it's very hard. Need I add that at the first intermission, uh, Linda turned to me and said, good night. <laughs> um, so uh, She's and, such a good barometer. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so anyway, um, of course, I stayed. And uh, and frankly, the second act is substantially better. Um, it really gets to the meat of the matter. You really get to the lawsuit. And it's very interesting that the people who uh, <laughs> who are the defense Defendants know that they're in trouble, know that they're in trouble and are willing to settle. But indeed, our lawyer is not willing to settle. 
And will that turn out to be a good idea or a bad idea? Well, uh, we shall see what we shall see. Um, anyway, um, the translator is Fang Du. Uh, that's the name of the actor. And he's terrific. Um, we do have Julie, who is indeed the uh, lawyer, Cindy Cheung. Terrific. Uh, her sister, Eva Rubio Kwan. Terrific. Uh, Daniel Jenkins, who people may remember from 20, <laughs> 26 years ago now as um as Josh and Big, the Big Josh, mm. um, here he is playing one, her legal Julie's legal partner, uh, who has a very different take on things. And I will say that he makes a mistake, and the mistake uh, turns out to be deadly. But the mistake is a mistake that I would dare say each and every one of us has made in our lives, so we can identify with his mistake. Um, so um, he's uh, quite good as well. So, um, and then we have Max Gordon Moore, who um, is very smarmy. And when he takes the stand, he really thinks he is the sun and the moon and he's going to obliterate everything. So you really get the impression that the jury is going to turn against him. Well, we'll see. We'll see. So uh, uh, maybe Linda made a mistake by going home, but um, I, I do understand why um, she would be terrible, terribly frustrated at what was going on in the first act, because I was, too. I think it's a very hard play to catch on to. Hmm. All right. So that is uh, Golden Shield at Manhattan Theater Club. It's playing through June 12th, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Michael, you got over to Signature to see A Case for the Existence of God. Uh, so tell us about this. Again, another play that's closing on June 5th. Uh, and I, I got there very late only because I, I think our listeners understand what it's been like <laughs> uh, for us to try to see everything over the past couple of months. It's just been incredible the number of openings on and off broadway so i'm sorry that i, I got there so late but i'm but i guess better late than never right um mm -hmm. this is a really wonderful play by samuel d hunter directed by david cromer both great artists mm -hmm. um and with a cast of two uh two more great artists kyle beltran and will brill and I, I know it's been spoken about before on the podcast here so i won't go into it briefly but it's about these two um men in a small town who uh who knew each other once and now they're in really different places in their lives and one of them is uh, a gay man who is trying to adopt um a, a daughter uh, he's fostering to adopt a daughter, but there's some problems going on there. And the other fellow is uh, trying to buy a uh, 12 acres of land uh, in order to get some permanent, you know, to, to build a house and get some permanence in his life because his life has not been going that great either. And it's really, uh, it's interesting. I, I mean, in many ways, this is a very different type of play from which way is the stage but they're both similar in that i, I would describe it as uh for the most part ultra realistic dialogue uh you really feel like these could be actual people talking to each other and i love those kind of plays i love the kind of dialogue when it's well written some people prefer more stylized or more poetic um and I, I like that too, uh, depending on the play and the subject matter. But but uh, here, I think this was really perfect. And uh, there's um, kind of a 
wonderful thing that happens with the set uh, towards the very end of the play. And, and also there's a, let's say a, a flash forward that happens and it, it's really very moving. Um, I would say it's a character study uh, primarily, but it, it really deals with uh, how uh, even small lives, you know, uh, non-heroic lives, uh, there's always drama going on and, and everyone has their own drama. I, I do. Um, I, I would be interested. I, I don't remember uh, you. Do, I'm assuming. Did you both see it? I did. Yeah. Um, Peter, I, I don't remember specifically what you said, but do, would you care to expound on what exactly you think the uh, title means without giving any spoilers well i don't believe the word god is mentioned in the play did you hear it i don't think so yeah um the point is that um we're really dealing with such an extraordinary coincidence that indeed it's possible to believe that god engineered it i think that's what it means you mean the fact that uh w well at the end of the play we do have uh, two new characters still oh, okay. played by the actors yeah. but you two characters you wouldn't expect to see Right. Um, right. Uh, we didn't anticipate that happening at all. But uh, the fact that they get together, right. the fact that, uh, I think, is why um, he means that. Right. And also, I think you're right. And also the fact that um, maybe these we don't actually see the end of the story of the two men, mm -hmm. but it doesn't. That's right. Look, it doesn't look good. No, it doesn't. Um, and but then we maybe see. um that there's hope for the future. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. So uh, that is uh, the case for a case for the existence of God. I didn't say the because I made the mistake before. A case mm -hmm. for the existence of God at Signature Theater Company. As Michael mentioned, it's uh, wrapping up about a week from now on June 5th as well. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And we can link back to Peter's review as well if you want to take a listen to that. Michael, uh, you had talked about the um, the set in A Case for the Existence mm. of God, and it reminded me that this week Matt Temanini had an interv interview with Anna Fleischla, who was the designer. Uh, she designed the set and costumes for the Hangman. For Hangman. Oh. And we talked about the opening scene in Hangman, and she, she talked about that and how it was different from uh, how they did it off Broadway and how they did it in the West End and how they uh, threw away the set in the West End and uh, started again from scratch because <laughs> uh, because they didn't think that they were going to reopen after COVID, so they got rid of the set and then they were found out they're oh, reopening and they had wow. to rebuild the set from scratch. Wow. <laughs> and uh, that and she talked about the flying of uh, and how it was very different from off Broadway to Broadway, and so it answered a lot of the questions that I had had about that, and I had no idea. Matt was interviewing Anna, and uh, I was listening to it in my feet. I was like, oh, this answers some of those questions. So, Well, I'll have it, to listen to that because I'm specifically interested, since I do not remember, how it was done off-Broadway, that first set. I think it was just a blackout. I think uh, that's what she's... Oh, right, uh, but I mean, where did everything go? I mean, <laughs> you know, there's so little room. It, I think it was in one. I, I oh, think it was it, in one. Oh. I think it was in one, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So, uh, yeah, 
and uh, I have her email address, so we can ask her if, <laughs> if okay. it doesn't if, the, okay. if it doesn't answer that question. I hope I'm not in, insulting our listeners, but um, maybe somebody needs to know what in one means. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, who wants to take that? <laughs> uh, in, in front of the curtain. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Am I right? Uh, or, I'm a, or, I'm a, at the, or at the very uh, forefront of the stage. It's right. where it. I call it the Felicia zone. It's where Felicia likes most of the action to take place. Is at the lip of the stage. Yeah, you bet. That's right. It's his favorite. <laughs> you. In bet. fact, every stage should only be just the lip of the stage. <laughs> now we're talking. Now we're talking. <laughs> uh, which I guess in, in the very when. When Chicago first transferred uh, from City Center to Broadway, Peter, was it your favorite because we had the orchestra taking up most of the back of the stage? No, that didn't matter to me. But I do like um, the fact that it is played up front. And I do believe I mentioned this a few weeks ago when I was talking about Funny Girl, that um, that there are fewer chorus girls and chorus boys, ensemble members, I should say. Uh, then I certainly saw in 1964 and 65 when I saw the show. And, uh, but by playing it in one, it doesn't seem as if the stage is underpopulated. It's a very smart idea to do it that way. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so that's really uh, quite smart. Maybe uh, Hal Prince should have staged, staged the masquerade scene from Phantom mm-hmm. of the Opera in one, so they didn't know each actor didn't have to carry two mannequins with them. You know? <laughs> Good observation. So yeah. Um, so what's up next is the Urban Stages Gala. So Michael, tell us about this. Oh yeah, actually, I had two events in one day. I forgot to mention the other one earlier. Uh, uh, on the 23rd, Monday, the 23rd, um, in the first part of the day, I went to Madison Square Park for uh, a really great event that was for National Canine Cancer Awareness, uh, a group called Take, uh, well, the event was called Take Charge, and CHARGE is an acronym for Canine Health and Registry Exchange. It's really a, like a database and information mm-hmm. thing that they're trying to raise money for to uh track canine cancer and other uh, health issues in dogs. Uh, And there were really wonderful people present uh, performing and speaking. Uh, Chaz Palminteri and his wife, uh, Richard H. Blake, who uh, Mm -hmm. really hosted the event. Um, uh, Bobby Conti, uh, whose mother uh, used to be, by the way, his name until recently was Bobby Conti Thornton, and he seems to Mm. have dropped the Thornton from his stage name, uh, which I think is a good idea. But anyway, uh, his mother is heavily involved in the organization. So he was there uh, and Orfe and Andy Carl and Man- Manu Narayan. But also, um, uh, I-, I couldn't stay for the whole thing, but I-, I stayed for the opening number, which was Jen Colella, one of our favorites, uh-huh. performing the singularly appropriate song uh, by uh, uh, Lynn Aaron's. It's oh, I was hoping you were going to say that. Yeah. Uh, At at times like this. And the next phrase of which is a girl could use a dog. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we, I, I I took a little very brief video of uh, part of Jen singing that song and uh, we were including it in the show notes. You can, you can check that out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then, yes, the Urban Stages uh, benefit, 
was held on Monday evening, May 23rd at the Central Park Boathouse. Um, I had gone to one of their events there, uh, which is a lovely space. Have either of you ever been there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really, really nice on a on a nice day anyway. Um, and I had been to uh, only one of their previous events, and it was exactly 10 years ago, 2012. Uh, so I was there this year, and I, actually they, they got me to do their photos. Uh, and I really wanted to go because the awards this year uh, were were really excellent. The, the Luminary Award went to Reed Bernie, who uh. has a great career on stage film and television and then the mid-career awards went to terrence archie who's uh currently playing patty lapone's husband in company which i think you know maybe deserves a special award in itself (laughs) Um, and uh nikki m james and aj shively uh, f- currently from Paradise Square. Mm-hmm. And I also knew AJ a little bit. Uh, so I really wanted to go and it was a wonderful event. I was at actually the table with Terrence and AJ and, and their, uh, their, their guests. Uh, Nikki M. James couldn't make it, but for a good reason, she was working. <laughs> uh-huh. she, was, she was filming something. So it was too bad she wasn't there, but I really was very glad to be present and I, I uh, put for I sent for the show notes a photo that I took of Terrence and Reed and AJ. Well, given that you asked if I've been there, I've been there one and only time, but I remember I was sitting next to Kanita Miller mm-hmm. and I said to her, um, so what's your favorite role of all time that you played? She said, oh, in the color purple. I have a feeling that that <laughs> opinion may have changed in the last um, uh, year, given the fact that she's a Tony nominee mm. right now for um, uh, for Colored Girls. And uh, I won't be surprised if she wins, by the way. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll know about that. Uh, we'll have our predictions on the morning of the Tony Awards here <laughs> on, mm-hmm. on uh, This Week on Broadway. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Peter, Michael, and I will make our, our predictions uh, so that For you will better or know, worse. <laughs> so that you will know definitely who will and will not win. That's right. <laughs> so uh, let's see here. I've got those pictures. That's a great photograph of the three guys, uh, Michael. That's in the show notes and the Jen Kalila video. I, you know, I had emailed you during the week and said. Uh, Hey, hey, Michael, is it okay if I upload this? Because I, I didn't realize it was your video. I thought it was somewhere else because it looks like it's on a beach. It's not. It's not, oh, no. Not, oh, no. It's not, Madison Square Park. <laughs> it's Madison Square Park. I, I thought you were in a, this is a video from some production in some island, you know? <laughs> but it is an island, I guess, Manhattan. So, That's uh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that is in the show notes as well. And, um, you can check that out there. So, Michael, you headed up uh, from Madison Square Park, uh, which is uh, roughly in the tw- uh, the low twenties, mm-hmm. all the way up to Ninety Sixth Street. You got far and wide this this week, <laughs> up to Symphony Space, to see uh, Evocative, Voactive, Vo- No, you had to write the first time. Evocative, <laughs> yeah. Okay, as, so tell as in as in octave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this, uh, this was on the 20th and I'm sorry, I, I didn't get to talk about it uh, last week, but it was only a one nighter anyway. So you, you, you wouldn't have been able to go, uh, this incredible group, 11 voice acapella group based in Orlando. And they sing, uh, I think they sing, um, 
well, primarily, almost exclusively, Broadway and film music and also uh, Disney, uh, which, of course, there's a lot of overlap there anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and really just in beautiful sound and unbelievably gorgeous arrangements. I, uh, as far as I know, acapella groups are not usually that large mm-hmm. because it, I think it becomes more difficult um, to uh-huh. sing acapella. Uh-huh. For long Michael, period. have you not seen the pitch perfect movies, pitch perfect one, two, and three I with will, Anna Kendrick? I will admit that I have not seen. This. Oh, you have to watch them. <laughs> you have to watch them. I think you, you tremendously enjoy them. I, I really should. I probably would like them a lot. There, so anyway, they do. They do a lot of acapella. There, uh, it's a movie about acapella competitions. Oh, okay. And oh. all the and, and the acapella groups are all very large. So anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, then I guess maybe I'm wrong about that. Mm-hmm. But um, the ones I've seen and heard uh, mm-hmm. have always been smaller. Uh, but they, there's just a great group. And this is. Um, I wrote down the the the. Uh, the program, uh, I mean, just get a load of this. And I can't, I can't describe how gorgeous the arrangements were, but they did something's coming. They did a Disney flying me- medley. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm flying. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, d- well, there's so many <laughs> flying song. Uh, they did Tomorrow from Annie. Uh, they did Anything You Can Do as a sort of competition mm. number between oh. the, the men and the women. Uh, there was a Disney princesses medley. But then they did Children Will Listen, mm. which was beautiful. Mm. Climb Every Mountain, Pure Imagination from Willy Wonka, The Trolley Song from Meet Me in St. Louis, Disney. Uh, Dis- oh, uh, the men did a Disney Heroes and Villains medley. Uh, and then, uh, oh, they did that gorgeous song, When She Loved Me, from uh, one of the Toy Story movies. Uh-huh. Uh, and then Over the Rainbow and the uh, the last song of the program proper was somewhere from West Side Story, uh, but then the encore was "Smile," that gorgeous Charlie Chaplin song. So, really, if they ever uh, apparently this was their first time in New York, uh, they have uh, apparently a really huge following on social media and YouTube, yeah. etc. Uh, and I'm not surprised. Uh, it was packed, and Symphony Space is not a small theater. So I think word has gotten out. If they, uh, I'm sure they'll be back. Uh, definitely put them on your radar. Yeah, uh, they have a bunch of their videos. I've been, I've uh, put one in the show notes. If you can take a look at that, see if you like it. Then they have many videos on their website at uh, at uh, voctive.net. Mm. So uh, it's really very very cool. I love the new finds like this and the, mm-hmm. and it does say in the symphony space that it was their new york debut so that's really uh-huh. wonderful michael yeah, how did I, you how did you end up did you this symphony space pr people just pitch you it or did you no actually um uh their their agent i guess or manager is a fellow named matthew oberstein or stein i'm not mm-hmm. sure how he pronounced um who i had known for years uh he he's also a very talented uh musician conductor but I think he's, uh, I'm not sure if he, I think he still does that. Uh, I'm pretty sure he does. But he has also transitioned into managing uh, and musical acts. And he, he specifically invited me and I, I was Great. delighted to go and I'm glad I did. You know, you might, uh, 
you might have thought, well, you, you hear they're based in Orlando, and and I don't know, there might be some stereotype as to how good or bad you might think they might be, or they might not be like completely professional. They were a thousand percent professional. I I can't believe I, I you know I I used to be in the New York City game as chorus, and we would occasionally do a cappella numbers, and it was always very difficult to. Um, to stay on pitch for long periods. Uh, and so I, I'm a great admirer of groups that can do that. All right. So uh, that is Voctiv, and it was a one-night thing. So hopefully they'll come back to New York, and uh, maybe if they do end up coming back to New York, we can invite them on to talk with us on Broadway Radio. Oh, yes. That'd be great. All right, so that wraps it up for today. Before we get on to the musical moment and trivia, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. That way, each and every episode of This Week on Broadway can be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to find a podcast, you get Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do we have an answer to last week's trivia? A year after one actor had received an Oscar nomination, an actress who had been in the musical with him got one as well. Neither one, but these nominations had to be career highlights considering that both had appeared in a famous musical in which neither he nor she sang a note. Who are they? For what were their Oscar nominations? What was the musical in which they appeared? Well, Michael J. Pollard was nominated as Best Supporting Actor in 1967 for Bonnie and Clyde. A year later, Kay Medford was nominated as Best Supporting Actress for Funny Girl. And while both had appeared in the original cast of Bye Bye Birdie, <laughs> he is Hugo Peabody, she is Bay Peterson, neither he nor she had a song and presumably stayed home on the day of the cast album recording session. Those who know the movie will say, wait a minute, Hugo sings, Bobby Rydell sang, and even Maureen Stapleton sang a little. Uh, yes, but not in the original um, production and not certainly on the original cast album. For the second week in a row, Juliet Green was the one to get it first, mm. followed by Sean Logan, Brigadude, and Isaac Blevins. And Tony Janicki? Well, he said that Jack Oakey and Eileen McMahon both appeared on Broadway in Artists and Models in 1925, where he assumes they didn't sing. I did some checking. He's right. They did not sing. So far, so good. And as time went on, Oki was Oscar nominated in 1940 for The Great Dictator. And McMahon was nominated in 1944 for Dragon Seat. Yeah, but Tony, I did say the actress received a nomination a year after the actor did. So I would say that after 1940 would come 1941 and not 1944. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. This week's question. Remember in high school math when you had to solve those analogy problems that said three is to six as six is two, and the answer was 12, that type of thing? Let's do a musical theater one. Charles Strauss is to Frank Wildhorn as Henry Mancini is to whom? <laughs> <laughs> All right, if you have an answer for that, you better beat Juliet Green and email us at <laughs> trivia at broadwayradio.com as soon as possible. <laughs> So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Our music for this week for our opener and our closer um, 
is a tribute to the great Angela Lansbury, who has very recently been announced uh, that she will receive a Tony for lifetime achievement at this year's ceremonies coming up very soon. And she already has five competitive Tonys. Is that correct? <laughs> yes. And she would have had a sixth had Pretty Bell come in. Believe me, Glynis Jones was very good in a little night music, but Angela Lansbury would have wiped the floor with her, with her performance in Pretty Bell. Take it from one who saw it four times. Go on. <laughs> well, anyway, um, some people are saying that since she's got five, that maybe she doesn't need another one for a lifetime achievement. But I'm sorry. I think that any award to Angela Lansbury is mm-hmm. 100% fine by me. Um, there was an unfortunate statement uh, with an unfortunate error uh, released. Uh, well, you know, and, uh, and since it's, the statement is credited to two people, uh, hopefully we can assume that maybe neither of them actually wrote it. But um, here's the statement. Angela Lansbury's contributions to the stage are insurmountable, said Charlotte St. Martin, president of the Broadway League, and Heather Hitchens, president and CEO of the American Theater Wing. Well, insurmountable means they can't, <laughs> they can't be overcome. It's like a, an army or something, you know. So, I mean, that is really kind of embarrassing, guys. So whoever their speech writer or quote writer is, uh, you know, I hope they 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 get it on the ball. But um, anyway, uh, congratulations to the great Angela Lansbury. Our opening music was It's Today from MAME. And for the closer, uh, of course, so many possibilities. But I chose I Don't Want to Know from Dear mm. World. Nice. Uh, which I think is a you know a song that we all can relate to, especially with mm-hmm. with, with what's been going on lately mm-hmm. in, in the world. Mm-hmm. All right, so that wraps it up for today. On behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radios this week on Broadway. Bye bye. 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 No longer loving than I don't want to know if summer is no longer carefree, if children are no longer singing, if people are no longer happy than I don't. Exciting my memories, all are enchanted. My memories burn in my head with a steady glow. So, if my friends, if love is dead, I don't want to know. If music is no longer lovely, if laughter is. No longer lilting if lovers are No longer loving than I don't want to know If summer is no longer carefree if children are No longer singing if people are No longer happy than I
memories All are exciting my memories All are enchanted my memories 